You're about to hear a life-transforming word brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church, London, an oasis for breakthrough. The focus of Trinity Baptist Church is to see people develop a Christ-like character that impacts our world. Now, prepare your hearts to receive God's word through his anointed servant. Second Timothy chapter 2, I begin reading from verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Amen. Precious Father, we honor you for the truth of your word, your word which is life, your word that heals, your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. This afternoon, Father, let your work your word work a work in our lives. Draw us closer to you. And I pray that this afternoon, let every emotional, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual need be met in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that in simplicity and in clarity, I will share your word this afternoon. In the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people shall say, this afternoon, I'm sharing with us, as we follow our theme, The Fear of God, a message that I have titled, The Christian Life. The Christian Life. Let me begin with a question. If you were to describe yourself as a Christian, what metaphors, what adjectives or words will you use to describe yourself? How do others describe you as a Christian? How, if they mention your name, what words first come out? Do they call you a Sunday Christian? <clears throat> a troublemaker? A loyalist? The generous Christian? Do they say you are a good man or a good woman? Do people refer to you as the man or the woman who fears God? Are you the one who desires to please God? Or do you see yourself as a bench woman or a fearful Christian? What do people say about you when your name is mentioned? The Christians were first called so at Antioch because the people looked at them and they saw the characteristics of Jesus in them. When you mention the name Abraham, the first thing that comes into the mind of people is an apostle of faith and a friend of God. Abraham, leave your father's house, leave your kindred, come out of your country. And I will show you a place where you must go. The Bible tells us, Abraham left not knowing where he was going, for he sought for a city which had foundations, whose maker and builder was the Lord God Almighty. When you mention the name Abraham, you talk about faith. When the name Job is mentioned, <clears throat> the word that comes to mind is patience. <clears throat> when the name Joseph is mentioned, the words that come to mind is integrity, a forgiver, and a man who was versed in organization. 
When you mention the name Nehemiah, it is leadership. When you talk about David, we're talking about worship, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about a great warrior, a man who was bold. You mention the name Moses, we talk about humility, a friend of God, and a man who could not control his temper. When you talk about Solomon, the first word that comes to mind is wisdom. But the other word that also comes to mind is lust. One man thousand. When you talk about something, when the name something is mentioned, what comes to mind is abuse of power. Powerful. Takes the jawbone of an ass, kills a thousand people. Power. But he abused that power. When you mention the name Paul, you're talking about perseverance. A man who received so much mysteries. When you talk about Barnabas, you are talking about a good man and an encourager. The question Pastor Kingsley, I must ask myself is, how will people describe me one day? When my name is mentioned, Pastor Kingsley, what do people, how will posterity remember me one day? After 95 years when the Lord calls me home. How will posterity describe me? What metaphor best describes you? A metaphor basically is a figure of speech containing an implied comparison. And in the passage that I read to you in this second letter to Timothy, the apostle Paul was being kept in prison by the emperor Nero. And knowing that his time was near, his ministry had come to a close, he writes to his son Timothy to encourage him. And in this book, in this epistle, this letter he writes to his son, he encourages him to continue faithful in his duties as a minister of the gospel, to hold on to sound doctrine, to avoid error, to endure persecution for the sake of the gospel, put his confidence in the scriptures and to preach the word of God without fear but to preach it relentlessly. And in doing this, he uses three common metaphors to paint a picture of how the Christian life is. And the apostle Paul uses the metaphor of a soldier Verse 3, he says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he says, the Christian is a soldier. Then he uses the second metaphor, an athlete. And then uses the third metaphor, a farmer. And these are taken from common life that to Timothy would become very familiar. But also to you and myself today. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer are people we've come across. But Paul begins with a soldier. The first metaphor he uses is a soldier. Let me read the verse 3 again. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the use of the word soldier denotes the fact that, Timothy, you are in a warfare. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, telling us that we must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, what the Bible wants you and I to understand is that we are in a warfare. That the Christian life is a warfare. And it is a spiritual warfare. For the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but our wrestle is against principalities, it's against powers, it is against the rulers of darkness, of this age and against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Hallelujah. And the truth about us being soldiers, as you see a physical soldier, in the realm of the spirit, we are spiritual soldiers. And, and the Bible says that our battle is against principalities and powers, forces that are not seen. But the Bible wants us to know that we are soldiers. Is somebody with me today? And spiritual mirrors that monitors your going out and coming in, may it crack as it receives the fire of the Holy Ghost this afternoon in the name of Jesus. The truth. 
about spiritual warfare is that whichever way you look at it, there are spiritual cohorts that monitors our progress as you work hard, as I work hard, as we seek to live our own lives. There are mirrors that monitor our progresses. This afternoon, if there is any mirror that is monitoring your progress, you see, don't think that you are abroad so nobody knows where you are. It is the grace of the Lord that has kept you. And, and Paul begins by saying, verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is grace. So they have all these gadgets and they throw it down and mirrors and they, you, they are looking at what you are doing. By the finger of God, by the blood of the everlasting covenant, I command that mirror to crack in the name of Jesus. From today, when they lift that mirror to monitor you, may Jesus appear in that mirror in the name of Jesus. Professor Kodia was sharing with us as he spoke during the Thanksgiving in Accra, a true story, a young man, after several years trying to get a visa to go to Atlanta to study, guess it, the USA, changes plane at Schiphol, Amsterdam Airport. Just when they were about in mid-air, he realizes that one of his shoes was missing. He, he had slept. He woke up. He, wa- he wanted to go to the washroom. He was wearing only one shoe. So started bending over, looking under the seat. My shoe, my shoe, my shoe, my shoe. They said, hey, my friend, why? He said, my shoe, my shoe. So the, the hostesses couldn't constrain him because it was a mystery. So, so much so the pilot comes out. And consoles him, he sits down. All oh, this time, my shoe, my shoe. Can you imagine having gotten down of, of the airport and one shoe? Can you imagine? So the, the plane lands at Atlanta. An announcement comes, everybody must wait. Guess what? Two officers come, they lift this boy up. You know what? They think he's gone mad. Before he became aware, they put him the next day on the next plane back to Ghana. Guess what? He goes home. The shoe that was missing was sitting on the wall of his house. See, hey, that is why you must not toy with your Christian life. My shoe, my shoe, my shoe. The shoe had landed in Ghana. And these mirrors, <coughs> spiritual mirrors, are things that these principalities and powers and spiritual weaknesses do that you might not progress. But I see the hand of the Lord lifting you up in the mighty name of Jesus. May the Lord frustrate their counsels against you in the mighty name of Jesus. Not only is a battle against spiritual weaknesses, we also battle against the evil systems of this world which is opposed to our spiritual advancement. That is why you and I must put on the whole armor of God. When I was growing up as a young boy, back in Africa, in the 60s and 70s, I traveled outside of Africa 78. That was when I left. Those days, Things about idolatry and witchcraft and were very rare. They were there, but they were hidden. Recently, as I was privileged to go to Nigeria some time ago, and also to Togo and Ivory Coast, these days, idolatry and witch doctors are publicly displayed by the roadside. Publicly. They are no more ashamed. That is why you as a child of... <coughs> I will say it. <coughs> that is why you as a child of God, you must not toy with your Christianity. These days, this least envy, 
and somebody being taken to a witch doctor. But let their chantings, anything thrown into the atmosphere, anyone that has mentioned your name in any village or thrown into any river, by the finger of God, I nullify, I cancel his power over your life in the name of Jesus. May it turn against them in the name of Jesus. Those that have sat down and said you are going nowhere. May the hand of the Lord lift you up. May your promotion become swift. May your banner be lifted up on high. That they will know that you serve the living God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Listen. You are here. There are people chanting you will be deported. But you will not be deported in the name of Jesus. You will only live here as a citizen of this nation. In the mighty name of Jesus. Don't try with your Christianity. Paul writes to Timothy and says that endure. You see, the reason why these idolatrous shrines have become very common is that we are in the last days and perilous times have come. What happened in Paris is only a sign of the fact that we are in the end times. When the wickedness of man will reach a level that is unimaginable. And the enemy knowing that would want you and I as people of the book of the cross to take shortcuts. So he publicly displays idolatry. And now they are so bold they even come on radios and TV stations. 2015 We are fighting against systems. But thank God for the blood. There is power in the name of Jesus. And we have run to Mount Zion. And that rock has power to protect us in the name of Jesus. We are not to love the world and the things that are in this world. Don't love this world. It's temporal. Listen. Lazarus died and went to paradise. Abraham also died and went to paradise. But the truth is that in Abraham's time, he was the richest man that ever lived and also was a friend of God. Lazarus loved God, was a righteous man, but died very poor. You will not die poor in the name of Jesus. You will not die a beggar in the name of Jesus. May the Lord so much bless your hands that whatever you touch, shall be blessed in the name of Jesus. May the Lord promote and lift your children high. You will not die a pauper. Poverty minus you and your children in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. You will not only be rich spiritually, but also physically. The battle is also against the sinful nature of man. And the sinful nature of man is always in battle against the spirit man. Paul says that the things that I want to do, I'm unable to do them, but the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. From today, may the spirit of the Lord strengthen you. Then in the fourth verse, Paul says, that you therefore, no one, sorry, verse four, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A good soldier of the cross does not entangle himself. You see, I was privileged to go to an army school when I was growing up as a boy in the early 60s. And as a soldier, you don't go to town and come back to the barracks and say that you had a fight with a civilian and the civilian has beaten you up. It's a taboo. It doesn't happen. An abongo man beaten by a civilian not only would they go and beat that civilian, but you, the soldier, you are in trouble. Because every soldier had something they call number six. We all have five senses, isn't it? But a soldier has something they call number six. I won't tell you what it is. And as a soldier, you are meant to use that to defend yourself. So they say, a civilian beat you up. A soldier is focused. A soldier understands he must not be distracted. 
When a soldier is in battle, you are in battle and you are on your mobile phone, you must be kidding. Bullets are flying all over you and you are on your mobile. But the good news is that the battle was won for us 2,000 years ago. And what you and I have to do is to enforce it. Watch this scenario. A boxer goes into the rank WBA title, weatherweight title, against Pacquiao. Or the heavyweight uh, uh, title contest against Mike Tyson. 12 rounds of battle. You know, Tyson's blows, his opponents say that when, if Tyson hits you, it's like somebody has hit you with an iron bar. Pam! They get, they get up, they fall again. Those, those days, that, that was how powerful his punches were. Then, after fighting Tyson, you win the battle. And you are married, this boxer is married to a woman who cannot be bothered about boxing. So, all that fight, though it's life, she doesn't watch it. She's watching her telly with ice cream in her hand. So the boxer comes home after the battle, blood oozing all over. They've taken him to a job. Tired. Honey, how did the battle go? How was the fight? He points to the belt being held by one of his boys. So he takes the belt and puts it on the lap of the beloved wife. You see, that boy, the boxer conquered the opponent in the ring. But the wife is more than a conqueror. And the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ. The truth is that 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, Jesus took all the blows. He took all the insults. He took all the scourging. He took all the pain. He took all the stripes. And has handed that victory to you and to me. That is why we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But you must know that you are in a battle and a sack. You must stand firm. You don't go to bed. And if you, are, if you look at the characteristics of a soldier, one of the things that you find is that every soldier is a follower. Why are they followers? Because they belong to a battalion. And by virtue of belonging to that battalion, it makes you a soldier. And you and I as a people of God are enlisted in the lost army. Why? Because we have a relationship with Jesus. We are the soldiers of the cross. We obey the commands of the commander and we know that great generals have gone ahead of us. The Wigglesworths, the, 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 the William Carries, they've all gone ahead of us. And we as a people of God, we are following their footsteps. As you read uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you see a list of heroes that have gone ahead of us. But a soldier is not only a follower, but a soldier is also faithful. You therefore must endure hardships as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And being faithful, every soldier is patient. No, so they endure hardships. They don't quit. During combat, they undergo deep hunger. But they never betray or run away from their post so that he might please his commander for promotion. Every soldier is trained to guard country and the things that are delivered to them. And you and I as Christian soldiers must stand up and defend the truth of the faith. We will not frustrate the grace but things that will do be things that will bring honor to our God in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We are not ignorant. But you see, during the Yugoslavian war, a very interesting thing happened. The Yugoslavs shot down the Serbian war. They shot down one of the Americans' F-16s. So the pilot ejected. And when the aircraft crashed, the... the the Serbs ran to the plane, but they discovered there was no pilot in it. So, in reality, they know he had ejected and must be around, hiding somewhere. For four days, 
They were searching for him. They couldn't find him. But all this time with his gadget, he was communicating with the high command, with the Americans. Then on the fourth day, when they discovered that the ground was safe to rescue him, they started in, in a camouflage using drones, bombing another area. So the attention of the Yugoslavs were directed to that place and from his, the place where this soldier was hiding. And he wrote a book, the kind of things that he had to survive. They picked him up and off they went. Before the Yugoslavs were aware they had rescued their man, they spent 17 million to rescue one person. And that is why it is very important that as soldiers, those that are spiritual must know that some will fall. We don't encourage them to fall, but the weak Christians, you see one thing about soldiers, in a war, they don't abandon their own. If if he's dead, and they have to bury him, they will dig and bury that person in dignity, if only they can carry him. But if he's wounded, about four will come, two will come together, carry him, to a place, another two, till they bring him to safety. That is how they are trained. And as soldiers of the cross, the Lord is training us to hold up one another and so that we all can go to heaven together in the mighty name of Jesus. A soldier is dedicated. Not only is a soldier dedicated, a soldier, a good soldier, also loves his uniform. Why? Because a soldier's uniform, when you see soldiers, their uniforms are always very neat. And it is their uniforms that distinguishes them from the other forms of the military. You know, when we talk about military, it's not only soldiers. We have the Navy, we have the Air Force. Then even within the Air Force, we we have the parachute regiment. Then the various forms. And their uniforms identifies them. And their ranks also makes them out. And a Christian must be identified by the fact that we have put on Christ. You see, the devil is not afraid of your qualification. He's not afraid of the fact that you are tall and handsome. He's not afraid of your color. He's not afraid of your bank accounts, nor your qualifications. The only thing that the devil fears about you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if there is anything he's fighting against, it is that hope that is in you. He fears it. He knows you are not a mere man. Why? Because you are endowed with power by faith. You lay your hands on the sick, they recover. Ah. A Christian must be identified by the fact that he has put on Christ. Therefore, a soldier that has put on Christ does not live like an unbeliever. You don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this earth. You look at a soldier's crest and you can read where he has been. His ribbons. Uh, uh, the medals tells you the battles and the accolades that he has had because of the various campaigns and battles that he has been engaged in. And at times when you see them in wheelchairs, when you see them with, with a, a leg blown off, it tells you of the battles that they've gone in and they have endured and the Lord has kept them. Listen, there will be no testimony without a test. And whichever way we look at it, one day we will all appear before Christ with our scars. And understand that nobody will talk about you if you are going nowhere. Nobody has time for people who are going nowhere. The only reason why people gossip about you, the only reason why people talk about you, the only reason why people are jealous about you, the only reason why people are envious about you is that you are going somewhere. You are making a mark and the camp of the devil is scared of you, but God loves you and there is nothing the devil can do about it because your name is written in the palms of the living God. You are the apple of God's own very eyes. It is impossible for the devil to pluck it in the mighty name of Jesus. When people talk about you as a soldier, just be strong. They are talking about you because you are going somewhere. Understand that the size of your promotion is determined by the size of your test and challenge. The size of your Goliath is the size of the promotion that is coming your way. The bigger the test, 
the bigger your testimony. The bigger the challenge, the bigger your promotion. So let the devil bring it on. Many are the afflictions of the righteous one. The Lord shall deliver him out of them all. That is why we can say that we are oppressed from every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not forsaken. Always bearing in our bodies the mark. When Job went through the fire of the enemy, he did three things. The first thing Job did was that he worshipped. Job 1.20, the Bible says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I into the world and naked shall I go. That theology was right. But the second theology, he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken. The, when God gives, the giftings and the callings of God Without repentance, they are irrevocable. When God gives you a gift, he doesn't take it, but you, you will work yourself out of that gift. You yourself will work yourself, but God will never take his gift. Is somebody hearing me? What Job did not know was that the battle was against the devil. But he knew one thing, that if God had not allowed it, it wouldn't have happened. Not only did he worship, the second thing that Job did was that he examined himself. And in Job 23, 10, he says, but he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as good. Job knew that life is a test. And that after losing all his children, after losing all his cattle, losing all his camel, losing all his houses, he knew that it was a test he was going through. And after the Lord had taken him through all that test, he would come forth as gold. But the third thing that Job did was that he also looked forward. He didn't live in despair. And as a soldier of the living God, you must know that when the tough times and the testings of life comes your way, when, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you must look up, you must examine yourself and see, am I, is there any area in my life where I have to put it right with the Lord or put it right with my fellow believer? You must do that. But after doing all this, you know you've done nothing. Look forward. Tell your neighbor, look forward. Oh, look forward. For the last time. Job 19.25, Job says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer, what? Lives. And that he shall stand at last on the earth. And guess what? God restored everything double, double. May the God of the double, double. Restore everything that belongs to you in the mighty name of Jesus. I understand that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, the fourth man showed up. In your fire, in your zero hour, he will always show up. Stand as a soldier of the cross. But Paul also compares the Christian life to, to an athlete. Verse 5, he says, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Hallelujah. An athlete. And we all know athletes. We see them. That's Usain Bolt. We all love him. But for Usain to get his crown, he must run according to the rules. But you see, anytime you watch athletics, too many lessons are learned. And a major lesson that is learned during athletics is that someone starting the race and leading the pack does not mean that that person is going to be the first. Are you hearing me? It does not matter who starts well. What matters well is who finishes well. And in a race, especially in marathons, there are those that will run and... Oh. Off they go. But most of the time, champions relax. And many champions run from the back. Some run out of gas and they are overtaking. The gold, the silver, and the bronze medal are not given to those who started well. They are given to those who finished well. You will run this race and you will finish well in the mighty name of Jesus. And, and, and Paul compares the Christian life to a race. But this race is not a hundred meter dash. It is not Usain Bolt running. It is a marathon. What is it? 
What is it? So, <clears throat> therefore, what is needed is discipline and endurance. In a marathon, it is not a hundred, you see, in a hundred meter dash, what is needed is speed. But in a marathon, what is needed, discipline and endurance. You have to be tactical. And in the race that we run as Christians, we don't compete against each other. Hallelujah. Ours, it is not about who outshines who. Every one of us has his or her own lane. And as a people of God, you have to run in your own lane in the mighty name of Jesus. And in the fifth fifth verse, he says, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are rules that governs athletics. Regardless of the race that it is, but the most important thing is that you must not only compete according to the rules, but you must also run in your lane. Tell your neighbor, you must run in your lane. Oh, I didn't hear you. You must run in your because as much as it is a marathon, if you cross into somebody's lane, you'll be disqualified. But this race, we all finish it differently. Some will run this race and finish it at age 90. Some will finish it at age 100. Some finish it earlier. Regardless of when they finish, it is between them and their God. Praise the Lord. And in the wisdom of God, he has so cleverly gifted us differently. And mine is to run in my lane. So I must know, I must not run as somebody who ran. Let, let, let me read a scripture and I'll come back quickly. Take me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Can you put that here? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but how many receive the prize? Run in such a way that you may what? Obtain it. Wow. 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do, now they do it to obtain a what? But we for an 26. Therefore, Paul talking to himself, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. And bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Take me back to the tracks. And so I, Pastor Kingsley, preaching, I must discipline myself and my flesh. I should bring it under subjection so that after I have run and got to the mark, I will be told disqualified you will not be disqualified in the mighty name of Jesus. But the most important thing is that everybody must run in their lane. And all these athletes, their talents differ, their experiences differ, their speeds differ. And as Christians, we are each running in our lanes and each one of us has got different kinds of gifts. Are you hearing me? Some can sing, some can play the instrument, some can teach, some can preach, but the fact that I can't sing does not mean somebody stands here and singing, I'm jealous. And there is too much jealousy in the house of the living God. Tell your neighbor, run in your lane. Or say it again, run in your lane. Listen, not all haircuts fit everybody because our heads are different. Honestly, I cannot say that I'm going to cut my hair like. No, for some of them, the Lord is my natural baba. So for them, they don't have any problem. But the shape of our hair, of our head, determines the kind 
of cat that will fit us. So don't see somebody with the side that I'm good. You will look like something else. And the most important thing is that we must run in our lane. And if each one of us will understand that we have a gift and that the Lord will only judge us according to how we run, the church will be the most beautiful place in the mighty name of Jesus. The, the fact that somebody has better preaching skills than me should not make me jealous. But what I should concentrate on is running in my lane. Because if God had wanted me to be like somebody, he would have given me that gift. And the fact that I'm Kingsley, Kingsley must run in his lane. And allow the others also to run. Who ah, one man and that no one crosses here, then you cross here. Then you do the race, you can't win it too, but you won't let anybody come. Ah. We should give everything to you, woman. Tell your neighbor, mercy. Come on, take me to John 21. I'll finish in the next five minutes. John 21. Start from verse 20. John 21, 20. Look at this. Then Peter, this is Jesus had resurrected. He had gone to the Sea of Galilee where the apostles were preparing to go back to shore. He calls Peter, starts talking to him. Then Peter turning what? saw the disciple whom Jesus loved for. Who was that? John. Who had also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Go on, 21. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, come on, let's read together. But, oh. But, ah, what has this got to do with you? Look at Jesus' answer, verse 21, 22. Jesus said to him, That's all. In other words, you run in your lane. If, if I desire that John should remain on this earth till I come back, what is that got to do with you? But you do what? Tell your neighbor, follow Jesus. Don't worry about another believer, but do what? Follow Jesus. Circumstance ah. here, he sings so powerfully. I'm there, my coat is becoming small on me. Because, because I should sing like him. Eh? Benedicta stands here, she's singing. Bruce stands here, she's singing. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm in trouble. Tell your neighbor, follow Jesus. But let me end quickly. Paul also likened the Christian life to a farmer. He says, the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You see, and that word hard-working is the word copino which literally means working to exhaustion. You see, there is no place in Christianity where one has to be lazy. And just rubbing your hands and going from brother to brother, those things are past and gone. The Christian's life is compared to the life of a farmer, the hard-working farmer. You see, and the truth about the farmer is that The farmer understands that he must till the land. The farmer understands that he must cultivate the land. The the farmer understands that he must sow the crop. crop. He must plow. He must apply the fertilizer. And he must water. And and the UK, most of the farms has its own, how do you call that process? Irrigation. That waters the crops for them. 
Only less than 4% of the people here in the United Kingdom are engaged in farming. Not only do they feed themselves and have excess, they export. In Africa, over 70% of our people are engaged in subsistence farming. They don't have enough to eat. We are too busy. Instead of believing God for the right technology to farm, we are looking to somebody's farm. We are fighting with boundaries. We are talking about things. We are jealous. Tell your neighbor, Lord, deliver us. Deliver us. But you see, a soldier will be crowned, will receive medals. An athlete after the race will be given their gold medals, their silver medals, and their bronze medals. But hardly are farmers giving prizes in their lifetime. Occasionally, once a year, in some African countries, the best farm of the year, it is done once a year. Only once a year. But throughout the year, mercy, they are winning all kinds of medals. The truth is that there are so many of you who are operating like farmers. You are the unsung heroes of the kingdom. Your work, most of the time, goes unrecognized. Those that come here every morning, 5 a.m. to clean this place, nobody sees you. Because when you are clean, everybody is sleeping. Those that come to choir practice, nobody gives you any money. You use your own money to take the transport and come. Ushers protocol that come to ensure that this place is in order. Ushering people in and people are at times even insulting them. They are paid nothing. But the truth about the farmer is that the farmer knows one thing. That once he plows the ground, once he sows the seed, he knows the difference between the rocky seed and the dry seed and the thorny soil. So he plants on the good soil and tells it. He knows that harvest will come. And I stand here and I declare to all the hardworking farmers in the church who are making TBC comfortable for us that your harvest is coming. Oh, you are not here. I said your harvest is coming in the mighty name of Jesus. And the truth about your harvest is that nobody can stop it. You see, and, and as farmer, at times you are fighting the bugs, you are fighting the weeds, you are fighting the bears and the animals that seek to come and steal your crop. Don't let them steal your crop. Don't let the pest destroy your crops. Stand firm because your harvest is coming. And let me end with this on the screen. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8, and I'm finished. Second Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul sees himself in these three metaphors. And as a soldier, he says, I have what? I have fought what? As a soldier, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. And as an athlete, what is he saying? Tell your neighbor, you will finish the race. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say it for the last time. And as a farmer, he says what? I have what? You see, when the farmer sows, waters the ground, applies the fertilizer, he is left to the mercy of the Lord. He believes God. You see, irrigation is good, but there is a difference between the rains that comes from heaven. When it rains from heaven, not only does it make the weather perfect for the crop, rain that comes from heaven is different. So the farmer, after doing all that, believes by faith that God will water the crop so that his harvest will come. And that is what we call faith. But understand that without the farmer, the soldier won't eat, he will starve to death. Without the farmer, the athlete won't be able to run. Then Paul says, finally, verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I see Trinity as a church that stands up in this Christian life as soldiers 
enduring to the end, as athletes well disciplined, and as farmers working hard. And I see there are five crowns in the Bible, and I see you as a child of God receiving your crowns. May the Lord cause it to come to pass. May the Lord bless the work of your hands. Your Christianity will stand in the name of Jesus. And after you have run, it will be said, you, your aroma will be left there. And it will be said that a believer ran through here. And may that be you in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people shall say, Amen and Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. At this time, we'll bring our offerings and our tithes to the Lord. And we want to do this in the faith that the Lord first gave himself to us. There is nothing that we have that we have not received. And we want to give by faith because we remember that the Lord that we serve is the God who loves a cheerful giver. And as a church, Not only are the monies that you give used wisely here, the accountability in this church is very strong. Amen. Please, if you need an envelope, raise your hand till you get one and then we'll pray. Everybody has an envelope? If you are still waiting for one, please kindly raise your hand for me. Thank you. Shall we pray together? Precious Father, we honor you for your word. As we bring our offerings to you, we pray in the name of Jesus that it will be pleasing to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, God's people shall say, You've just heard God's Word brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church, London. We pray that this Word will impact your life in a tremendous way. You are welcome to share your testimonies, prayer and counselling needs with us. Do visit us or write to us at Trinity Baptist Church, 2 Thornlaw Road, West Norwood, London, SE 27 OSA or call 0208 766 7732. Thank you and remain blessed.